Welcome to Cooking Up Innovation, the podcast that is all about new product development and driving innovation in food and beverage. I'm your host, Valentina, and in each episode, I'll be unwrapping how food businesses turn ideas into market-ready products that ultimately end up in your shopping basket. So let's jump in. Today, I'm so excited to welcome Alex Brasil to the podcast, um, who is the founder of Junk Bakery. We'll be discussing everything there is to know behind the craft and the process of how they create their de-junked baked goods and maintain that balance between health and deliciousness. So thank you so much for joining us today, Alex. It's so great to have you on the podcast. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm great. Thanks, Valentina. And thanks very much for having me on. I'm aware that you have recorded with a few very impressive brand names so there's a small case of imposter syndrome today but if I can give a few few nuggets about the startup life then I'll I'll be very happy oh no don't be silly I remember thinking when I was grouping together people to reach out to for the podcast and I remembered your product and I thought definitely want to talk to you guys about how you create it because it was just such a great concept um when I met you guys so yeah fantastic to have you I always like to start off from the same point and I'd love for you to give our listeners a quick introduction of yourself, obviously, and then how Junk Bakery came to be. Of course. So my dad's a doctor. My mum's a nurse. We grew up in a in a family that was very much health based. I went to university, did biomedical sciences, also had that sort of desire to help people and quite an interesting avenue opened up for me which was in the world of sports nutrition a big a very big business called the hook group one of the global leaders in sports nutrition decided to hire me so i was very lucky to get my first job there and i worked in an in an mpd function i worked myself up in that business and in the end was the, the group head of MPD, so was responsible for the innovation pipelines across my protein, my vegan, my vitamins. And yeah, whilst I was there, it was becoming more and more apparent that consumers were moving away from those typical big sacks of protein powder and moving more and more towards foods that were fortified with protein and fiber and that were generally doing better for consumers health. And so, yeah, I decided that there were categories that were really adopting these healthier products. Chocolate confectionery was a great example of it. Ice cream is a great example of it, but there was nothing quite like it in fresh bakery. So I decided to make the fairly scary jump back in November, 2020. And I convinced Sean, my brother and co-founder to do the same from his job then, which was at a business called Javelin where he was a retail strategist and worked with some of the the biggest retail brands globally. So I think we're lucky because I would very much be the product specialist and he has the strategy background. So that's been really helpful over the past past few months. Yeah, that's probably like an award-winning combo, like attack from the two ends that are most, I guess, critical at starting stage yeah it sounds like a match made in heaven but don't don't think that there haven't been a few uh few brotherly clashes that haven't happened over the past few months nothing that we've not been able to kiss and hug about afterwards but yeah it's uh all part of the fun 
Yeah, no, of course, I can imagine. Um, it's quite interesting speaking to uh, founders who are family as well, because they always say, you know, it comes with its tiffs and it's sort of back and forth. But at the end of the day, you always know that you can hug it out and everything will be okay. So I think that that is almost sometimes better because you can have that honesty and transparency, which sometimes if you're just like a business partner, you might not want to cross a certain line. Absolutely. I think there's there's been no hesitation to mix our words when we felt the need to give difficult feedback. Um, and But there's also that sense of real brotherly love still. So if one of us has done a good job on something, you know, it's a pat on the back and it's like, yeah, I'm proud of what you did. Well done. And, and that's really nice as well. Yeah, no, that's, um, I mean, a great step for you guys to sort of take that leap and start doing something that you're both passionate about. Um, so I guess diving into that, each of your cookies has, if I'm not mistaken, 1.4 grams of sugar versus the average retail product, which has 28 grams per cookie, which is makes me quite scared about the fact that I've just been eating these sugar loaded cookies. And you also have nine times the fiber than your standard retail cookie. So clearly, you know, you mentioned that your family background is in health and um, in the NHS and you did biomedical science, which I actually also did biomedical science at uni. So very, very curious there. Um, so you have a very strong health drive behind the company. So what would you say that your core missions at the company are? Like, what are you guys striving to do with your product? Yeah, I think ultimately the vision of the business is to make the UK a little bit healthier and a little bit happier. I, like you, Valentina, would have absolutely, well, I'd have been renowned actually for putting away five, six, seven cookies, no problem. And the regulations back when I was doing that didn't require any of those freshly baked cookies to have the nutritional info. So I'd be putting away thousands of calories without knowing it, with a with obviously a big smile on my face whilst I was doing it. But I think product technology or ingredient technology has reached a point now where you can replace the ingredients within a product formulation that is delivering the bad news to that nutrition profile and and you can replace it with stuff that is genuinely good for you so I think that's the journey that we chose to take and you know the freshly baked category is one or is is one that we all love but ultimately is one that is primarily comprised of butter and sugar and so isn't necessarily the best for our health and we're big believers in moderation but we're also big believers in win-wins so if you can have health and indulgence at the same at the same time it's a pretty cool place to be yeah of course and I mean I've tried your products and I have to say I did really love them I could have just sat there and eaten a whole bag <laughs> um so you it's quite interesting because you mentioned that obviously you were at the heart group so my protein, um, all of these companies that are creating these similar styles of baked goods, but elevated nutritional credentials like high protein, low fat. Um, I think they're pretty much the only similar-ish product that I've seen on the market to your guys. But how would you say that you're actually doing things differently at Junk Bakery? You know, what 
sets you apart from those companies and the kinds of products that they're releasing? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, first of all, it's really important to make the point that we're looking or, or are targeting the freshly baked channel. So we're a product that sits next to all of those traditional bakery products. We're not an ambient product with a 12 month shelf life. And that's really beneficial in terms of the delivery on, on taste and texture. I think the other important note is that the core consumer of a my protein and there are a few other protein cookies on the market but the core consumer there is the person that's looking for 20 grams of protein it's a sort of industry expectation which has been driven by the likes of my protein the likes of grenade the likes of fulfill and what we found is that as we increased that protein content in our product, there was ultimately a compromise on the product taste and texture. And so we felt that the difference in positioning could be A, fresh, and B, a better tasting product that still delivered exceptional nutritional value in comparison to the those incumbent bakery products. Yeah, that makes sense. And yeah, I think I get what you mean. And when you have those really high protein products, they almost feel like quite chalky and like stodgy in the mouth. So getting past that with still a very nutritionally positive baked product is is like a great challenge to have overcome. Um, so yeah, I actually want to talk about how did you begin making these cookies? Like, where did it all start from, you know, did you just start off in your kitchen or how did it all come about? <laughs> we were actually we were actually on a family holiday in Lanzarote and we had a British newspaper in the middle of the breakfast table and there was a headline which was two thirds of the UK are now overweight or obese. And I just started blabbering on to my family and just I must have been rambling on for five minutes and Sean cut me off quite rudely I'd add and uh, <laughs> said well what what are you going to do about it like is it, it you know stop stop rambling and um we discussed like the reasons why this was the case and the overconsumption of food and the average UK adult eats 500 calories more than they need every day and triple the amount of sugar and bakery is as, as i've said is a, a massive passion of, of mine and um it just felt like bakery was a great opportunity to offer a healthier product because nobody else was doing it and i felt i was passionate enough about it to overcome all of those technical challenges that were inevitable so how did it start i mean it started i'm not a baker I'm not, some people make the mistake of thinking that I, I grew up and, and spent all my weekends sat with my mum baking religiously and, and, and that's how this project came about. I, I'm not. I had to go right down to the ground level and understand what ingredients are in a cookie, what function do they have, which ingredients are providing poor nutritional value and then taking my sports nutrition background and understanding 
what ingredients can add to nutritional value while still offering the same function. And so it was a pretty tough first six months. Some very, very ugly things came out of the oven. I saw some pancakes, I saw scones, there were baking trays flung across the kitchen in frustration. Um, but in the end, you know, bakery is, is definitely an art, it's not a science and, and we learn step by step and then got to a product that we were pretty proud of. But yeah, it very much started in my mum's kitchen. It was, it was step by step. It was some, some of the stuff was easy wins change butter for rapeseed oil, reduce 50% of the saturated fat, but there were some real technical challenges in there as well. Yeah, I can imagine. So at this stage that you guys are now, are you operating in a facility? Have you sort of relocated yourselves like out of the kitchen and now somewhere where you can take advantage of these sort of higher level technologies to better your product? Of course, of course, yeah very keen to make the point that junk cookies are no longer made in my mum's kitchen. Um, we're using a yeah, yeah, to anyone that is listening, that is definitely the case. We're working with a brilliant manufacturer, Valentina, who is based in, uh, in Manchester and they're a BRC AA grade facility. Fantastic capacity, millions and millions of pucks and yeah we're we're at a great stage that you know trials have, have been very successful and, and we've got an end product that's probably even better than the the stuff we were making in the kitchen all that time ago so talking about the product how do you execute the element of freshly baked within your supply chain so we manufacture our products in a very traditional bakery using traditional bakery methods we either manufacture pucks and box them as pucks or we go ahead and bake them at the facility either way both the puck or that baked cookie is then frozen the cookie has been designed for the thaw and serve method simply thawing the cookie for 45 minutes allows it to perform as well as a freshly baked cookie whereby certain customers of ours don't have an oven on site this is obviously a super convenient product format and then some of our incoming customers are going with the puck that they can then bake and store and they like the theatre that comes with this and that format works well for us also. I think the additional point to make is that a frozen supply chain and the benefit that brings to junk is we have a 12-month frozen shelf life. Unfortunately, bakery is a category that is associated with a extremely high level of food waste and a key mission for the business is actually reducing that and so allowing us to have that impact to the freshly baked category is something that we believe will really be able to action on as well. I know that you guys now have four flavors I think of cookies so where did you I know you said it was like a trial and error you're not a baker so you really had to like get into the nitty gritty of creating the product from scratch. But did you have any sources of inspiration? How did you settle on those four flavors? You know, how did that come about? Yeah, it's a great question. I think I was really lucky at the Hook Group that it was an international business. And so in my in, in the MPD team, 
there came the demand for localised MPD that would service different regions, different countries, different continents. And because of that, you're really forced to get very creative and really forced to immerse yourself in different cultures, understand what works for other people. And it's, uh, I guess it's a skill that I've taken with me and along the route worked with brilliant flavor houses, one particularly brilliant one that, you know, have, have, have had a very similar mindset in, in that sense. And so I guess the flavors that we picked, you always needed a milk chocolate because it's always going to be your core, realistically your best seller. And triple chocolate fell in the same path. But then there was real excitement about innovation. And, you know, I think it was amazing when the, the story about Ruby chocolate's an amazing story and, and using the outer case of the cocoa bean to create a chocolate that's the first new chocolate since the white chocolate was created back in the 1930s. And, it, and that, that profile, that flavor profile of Ruby chocolate offers a really interesting like berry. And so that was, always going to be a great flavor to potentially place onto a cookie. I think sometimes when I look at bakery, you can see some of the really, really trending flavors like salted caramel, but that's sometimes a difficult flavor to really execute on a cookie because you want the actual sense of the texture of the caramel to come with it. And so we wanted to look at flavor profiles whereby they would transfer onto a cookie dough brilliantly and offer something slightly different from what was available on the market already. And so the Ruby chocolate was a great way to do that. And then with the white chocolate, which is definitely more of a chocolate for, for children, adding a layer of sophistication with a, a like a toffee style flavor, um, which makes it white gold, felt like a really sensible thing to do, given this is a an, an adult targeted product. I mean, I have to say the whole caramelized white chocolate trend that has sort of hit the market. I'm definitely part of a lover of that. It's so <laughs> good. I, like I, I wasn't a huge fan of white chocolate, like growing up because I always thought it was very sickly and overly sweet, but the approach of like caramelizing it and turning it into this sort of sweet, but also a bit burnt and a bit uh, bitter is just winner, winner, winner. So I think, I think, I think I would have salted caramel with pretty much anything. Really? (laughs) Make things better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Huge sweet tooth over here as well. So (laughs) I totally relate. Um, Fantastic. So obviously it must've been such great, grounding and experience to come from the hut group and work within that product development and now take it on to your role and also your company now but how would you say that the product development that you did at the hut group really differs from what you've been doing and what you will be doing at junk bakery is there like a different approach that you take or is it very much you've taken the skills from the hut group and that has now I guess, shaped the way that you approach things or the process that you employ when you're developing new products for junk? It's a great question. I think, again, the first thing I would say is the Hook Group was brilliant for exposing me 
to the technical, the compliance, the commercial and the marketing functions. And, you know, probably my first year there, I was a little bit naive and, and thought, oh, I don't, I don't want to be spending too much time with, with that compliance team because they're, they're, they're not so much fun. And then you mature a little bit and you realize that actually, if you can understand the principles that they work with and the principles that the commercial team work with and the principles that the marketing team work with, that actually really broadens your horizons, but at the same time sets early parameters so that you can understand which sort of framework innovation needs to work within for it to be a winning product. I think in a, in a startup, you know, it's obviously very different because I don't have access to a team of 20 marketers or a team of 20 compliance officers. And so that's where you have to really pull your boots, boots up and, and network and, and, and find that and, and, and really accept that, you know, you're, you're not a specialist in many areas and go to trade shows, network on LinkedIn, network however you can so that you can still deliver a product that has had the sort of analysis done by different departments different minds for, for you to feel confident about it yeah no definitely I can imagine being a one well in your guys two-man band is um very much you have to be a bit of a jack of all trades and you have to I guess reach out to as many connections as possible obviously like your guys sugar level I think we we're mentioning earlier is so much lower than your standard retail product and I imagine that took a lot of work and a lot of you know ingredient testing and tweaking but how do you make your cookies like truly dejunct you know talk to us about the product technology that really has resulted in this winning product that you guys have created the first step was to ultimately take the ingredients that comprise a standard cookie and, and we've obviously I've obviously already said that and understand which of those ingredients are contributing poorly to the nutritional profile. I was lucky enough again at the Hook Group to speak with a wide range of ingredient manufacturers, a wide range of contract manufacturers. And honestly, it was a very painful process. It took me over 2000 trials to really understand well there's lots of different protein materials whey protein is a very different material to pea protein to hemp protein to brown rice protein and because of that they all perform very differently in a cookie as you look to boost the protein content sugar was a very very challenging one and one of the really harsh lessons that I learned was that sugar doesn't just play a role in taste. It plays a massive role in texture. It crystallizes. It's part of the reason why cookies are chewy. And so the traditional sugar replaces that I was used to working with in, in, in sports nutrition simply didn't fit the bill because they could replace the sweetness, 
but they couldn't replace the role that Sugar had in texture and, and even as a uh, colouring agent as well, and p- producing a nice brown cookie that you're you're used to seeing in, in supermarkets or coffee shops. So I can't go into too much detail about, about the product technology, but what I will say is it was a trial and error process. And when you're taking on a MPD project, that ultimately feels intimidating to begin with because there's inevitably technical challenges, break it down into bite-sized chunks and just build an MPD plan systematically whereby you've ultimately just got a plan and you can understand how each ingredient is changing the product because of that. When you guys were creating the product, how did you, between you two, obviously you were testing everything, but how did you actually validate that your product, I guess, was good, that other people were enjoying it? Did you conduct any customer research? Did you go out and sample a lot? How did you go about doing that? We did some consumer surveys. We took a range of products. We tested them we wanted people's feedback on taste, texture, but it was also, we took the brand packaging and and wanted to understand, do these messages resonate with you? Do you see them when you're looking at the packaging? And how does it compare to what you're used to? And by, there was an overwhelming sense of positivity that came from, from the surveys. We had a very decent sample size, their feedback on on would they buy the product before the trial was excellent. After the trial, it was even better, which was great. The net promoter score was a very positive one. And, you know, that was that was really encouraging. And, and I think that gave us the belief that we were ready, gave us the confidence to say, right, we'll go in an exhibit at lunch exhibition and we'll go and exhibit at the Food Entrepreneurship Show. And then we had lots of further validation at those shows. We we won the gold award for the most innovative brand at, at lunch, which was absolutely amazing for us and a bit of a pinch yourself moment. And then you were part, Valentina, of obviously the lovely panel that voted for us to be the best food and drink brand at the Food Entrepreneurship Show, which was another brilliant prize to win. And I think that sort of catapulted us into... You know there was there was life before those exhibitions and then there's there's life after them and you know we've now onboarded an overwhelming amount of interest which is is brilliant oh that's great that's great to hear and yeah i mean clearly like all the testing all the research like resonated with so many more people than you guys initially thought yeah we one interesting point is that during the survey it became clear that our packaging was not delivering the messages that it had to and so that was a brilliant part of the consumer survey and it was simply because we hadn't highlighted the nutritional usps clearly enough within the very loud junk palette that exists on our artwork and so doing that work has enabled us to change the artwork fairly dramatically so that those really come to the fore so it was that was a brilliant exercise that's interesting to hear. So what was it 
about the like messaging that wasn't really there was it that people weren't understanding the low sugar like high fiber content was that what was like the hook that was missing from it yeah so we were asking people what do you see on the packaging what what are the first messages that you see and the first messages that everybody could see were that we contain zero palm oil and that there's no and, and that it's recyclable material the packaging and they're very important credentials for us that we're very proud of. However, they were tertiary messages against the nutritional messages that we had that were, I guess, elevated because we're targeting the millennial consumer. Sustainability is very important to them, but health is probably right now more important to them. And so what we found was all of the customers were saying that they could see the sustainability call outs, but that was actually at the bottom of our pack. And the reason why they could see it was simply because the writing was in white and was clearer on the artwork. If you looked above where the nutritional icons were, the colors just weren't different enough to the rest of the artwork palette. And so they got lost. And that was really interesting for us because it obviously identified the need to change it. Yeah, that's so curious. And it's, it really highlights the point that, you know, you can have a fantastic product and it, people might love it, but then the packaging can completely influence what they associate it with if they buy into it, because ultimately that's the first thing they're going to see on the shelves. And, you know, if it doesn't relay that message that you're wanting, then they might not pick it up because they might not associate it with that messaging. So you guys obviously have such high fiber content in your cookies and fiber, you know, gut health is such a booming topic at the moment within the overarching health trend. Is this something that um, obviously you guys are championing health throughout your product, but is gut health something that you're looking to advocate within the product? Is it something that um almost is a bit of like a standout and a call out for you guys we were brought up with the old adage of you are what you eat my mum we were very lucky that my mum always cooked from scratch we always got our fruit and veg in and when you look at the rda the recommended daily allowance of, of, of fiber in the uk it's 30 grams and the average uk consumer has just 19 so they're 11 grams short of fiber on a daily basis. And I, I, I'm absolutely, you know, the gut, the gut really does fascinate me, but 90% of your serotonin is made in the gut. Good gut health is linked to pretty much every other sense of health that we as humans feel. And so, yeah, I think the ability when we realized it was technically feasible to add 10 grams of fiber to the cookie was really exciting. And it, and it meant that we could take that average UK consumer and really take them to a place where they were getting very close to that 30 grams daily. Yeah. I think to be honest, I was tracking like the amount of fiber that I was getting in daily at one point, And it was so far off that number. It was really hard to actually accumulate it it's it's really tough it's yeah. really really tough uh, you've got to the amount of fruit veg 
grains, beans that you have to eat on a daily basis, you have to really, really be on it. It, it is a very big challenge. So yeah, if, if, if a cookie can make that a little bit easier then great. Yeah. I mean, what a way to make it easier. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, obviously now you have cookies in your repertoire. What is your NPD lineup looking like? You know, are you looking to branch out of cookies into new categories? I think I've got to be quite careful what I say again. I think that junk bakery, we've called ourselves junk bakery. We've not called ourselves junk cookies. A lot of the learnings from the cookie, the, the technical challenges, we believe will be transferable to other formats. And if people wanted to go and buy junk, can you tell them where can they find it? Are the products in retail yet? So right now we're not in traditional retail. However, we've launched in an exclusive partnership nationwide with GoPuff, who are a market leader in the rapid delivery grocery space. We launched with them in March. Things have been rolled out nationwide. As I say, they're going really, really well. Um, we're actually outperforming the household bakery brands such as McVitie's and Mr. Kipling. And, and that's obviously been hugely exciting. And it's also been, it's given us the platform to land some other really exciting listings that are going live over the next couple of months across a few other channels. So keep your eyes peeled. We're really excited about the, the next two months to come. You said that you're also building out your team, which is really exciting. and you know, you guys are, the concept, the business is so founded and rooted within innovation, you know, first market. Are you hoping to like promote and encourage that innovation um, to maintain and stay throughout the company as you guys hire more people, scale up and um, really share your vision with others? Good question. I think Sean and I, we're always playing sport. We played rugby, tennis, golf, football, and we, I won't say pushy parents, but we were pushed to, to achieve our potential. And, I, and, and if they do listen to this, I'm sure they won't mind me saying that. And that that's a good thing because on, on that road, you inevitably fail at things. And I think we grew up in a family where failure was actually seen as a success as long as you learned from it and I think as a as a startup business as we do hire we'll be hiring for specific roles but there will be an expectation for adaptability to be a key part of of that person's contribution and I think adaptability is a key part of intelligence I think that's that's widely accepted and so I think that Sean and I will always encourage mistakes as long as people learn from them, which is the key thing to do because that's that's ultimately how you grow. So I think that's always going to be a key part of of the company's culture is is empowerment and you know if you do make a mistake, it's it's let, let's learn from it and, and let's move on. Yeah, I think that's a great way to be and. It really helps people progress through their career and and learn and, you know, not be afraid of making mistakes. Because I, I see a lot of places where people have been 
almost feared into mistakes where they're so scared of putting a toe out of line that ends up being that they don't take those risks maybe when it's time to. So yeah, I think that's a great approach and a way to be as you go and expand your team. I guess my last like closing off question is more so like a top piece of advice is what advice would you give to another company or another startup, you know, that's looking to follow the same path and striving to create like a winning product in food and beverage when they're looking at their product development? Do you have any top tips? I do. And it's not necessarily on innovation itself. However, I think one of the things that Sean and I struggled with initially is going from the corporate world to a startup life. We're both fairly extroverted. And I I imagine a lot of founders in food are actually quite extroverted in. It can become a bit of a lonely place. And so my first recommendation is if you're looking to start something, try and find someone to co-found it with you. Having that day-to-day person speak to it has, has been great for Sean and I. And really, really try and try and network so that you'd feel you still feel that sense of camaraderie. And I think, you know, 10 years ago, the term entrepreneur or startup was just they're amazing, they're creative, they're trailblazers. And when you actually get into the thick of it, you're like, bloody hell, this is a this is a real slog and I'm doing absolutely everything. And I'm not sure how happy I am to be doing this piece of admin because I haven't had to do this in a, in a long time. And so being fully aware of the challenges and that roller coaster ride that you go on so that you can be resilient enough to drive through that drive drive through them it's really important to have that awareness before you do make a jump into something like this yeah 100% um yeah i think sometimes entrepreneurship and starting a business is kind of glorified and people maybe don't want to accept like the harsh reality that comes with it so yeah definitely a good tip to give people who are maybe thinking about doing the same jump and finally if people want to go and buy the product right now, where can they go and find it? So, yeah, we are live nationwide with GoPuff. Their distribution mainly targets the major cities, but they do have nationwide distribution. So, yeah, go and check us out if you want a delicious, healthy cookie. We, uh, we are live and um good to go on there. Thank you so much for sharing all your story and your advice and your tips. It's been fantastic to chat to you, Alex. No, thank you very much for having me. If you're hearing this message, you've listened to the entire episode. And for that, I want to thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming shows. If you know someone else who may be interested in this topic, please share this episode with them and maybe your community. Have any burning questions or future topics you'd like me to cover? Drop them in the comments. I'll see you all in the next episode, but until then, stay curious.